Welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help teens and adults with autism become more independent and successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. I remember being in college and literally having no idea what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I'm so thankful after college, I started working with those with autism, became passionate about working with uh, these amazing people and their families. I was able to pursue my passion and combine that with self-employment and get the opportunity to do what I love to do each and every day. However, finding and keeping a job you love is not easy for anyone, but particularly for those with autism. In this episode, we will talk with Boaz Santiago about how self-employment could be a pathway for some people with autism in finding and keeping a job they love. Boaz is the co-founder of Pecan Works, an organization that provides individuals with developmental disabilities the opportunity to obtain meaningful employment by pursuing their passions. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Boaz, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for the honor. So, where does your story in the autism community begin? Well, um, my story... Personally, with the autism community, begins with me meeting my current wife. Um, my wife already had two children with autism, and uh, although I had a, a first cousin of mine who had autism and epilepsy while mm-hmm. I was growing up as a child, I was often um, uh, disconnected from that story of my life because he lived in a different area, so I didn't see him very often. But upon meeting my wife, I was really exposed to autism from a very personal um, experience. Uh, going through college and growing up, I, I worked in a, a couple of communities for developmental disabled adults and was a medical administrator and, and so was very familiar with the 
developmental disabilities and epilepsy, but mostly from a clinical perspective, really not from a personal perspective. And I think that there's a distinction to be made between the two. You can, you can serve the population and know them, but it's a different experience when it is your child. Yes. And so upon marrying my wife and now helping raise two boys with autism, I really got a chance to, to understand autism from the perspective that it should be understood as a parent. Now, prior to us, the creation of Picasso Einstein, you were teaching uh, social entrepreneurship to at-risk youth for many years. What lessons did you learn from this experience that uh, led you and your wife to uh, create Picasso Einstein? So my experience is really half of the, the, the formula that was put into place for Picasso Einstein. And by the way, just for, for record's sake, uh, Picasso Einstein's name has now been changed to Pekine Works, and so um, moving forward, I will be referring to Pekine Works. You know, but that is the new name of Picasso Einstein. So, so reverting back to your question, you know, knowing that many individuals have ideas but are, are seldomly out of request to share those ideas uh, was a paramount experience when you deal with someone who's at risk because many of them have incredible ideas, but they're not in a circumstance or in an environment where people are really focusing on their creativity. Uh, they're, they're kind of um, sheltered in, into thinking that, you know, they're just trying to get through school or they're just trying to pass these tests. But no one is really, well, at least my experience was that very seldomly were individuals really plugging into the at-risk community for innovation. And in those years of, of teaching social entrepreneurship, what I began to see was that at-risk communities were really a topic for innovation. These individuals were absolutely thinking their way around, under, over, and around uh, many of their problems that they faced on a daily basis. And many of them had very aspiring dreams and ideas that were incredibly innovative. But, you know, you can have a great idea, but if no one's willing to listen or you don't have a system that is available to you to plug into to get those ideas vetted and supported, then those ideas just stay ideas. Mm-hmm. So, so what I learned was that what those communities needed were, were not only inspiration, but really needed a system where those ideas could be put to the test to be beta tested, flushed out, and then and then in that process, either quantify that the idea is great and you can do something with it, or quantify that the idea is not so great, but how can you improve the idea? Or how can you continue to work in the direction of being an innovator? And what we learned was that once they got started, innovation became a huge, huge motivational factor for them in all aspects of their life. Now, them being an innovative creator helped them in their schoolwork, helped them in their specialization, helped them in their conduct, because now they felt like they had something to offer for the world, which is their ideas. So my wife, uh, being an attorney who is focused largely on the special needs companies, the special needs guardianship and estate planning, had all too often come across family who had 
children who are aging out of the system with no plan whatsoever for work. And so was seeing a common a common trend among many of the families that she served of children being couch potatoes because they really didn't have a plan mm-hmm. for employment. And my wife once said, listen, you know, I don't want this to be our kids. And, and, um, and we need to figure something out now. And so what we decided was, was what is the only thing you can do with someone who's not of age to work? Well, entrepreneurship. You can be an entrepreneur at 10 years old. Right. And you can sell lemonade at eight. So, so entrepreneurship not only made sense for our kids because of their age, because we, like, we could actually get started now, but in the conversation, I realized that kids with autism are at risk. And so, you know, whether you're at risk economically or at risk um, in, cognitively or at risk in other ways, at risk is at risk, meaning that the cards are stacked against you. And so what we realized was that our kids could benefit from understanding entrepreneurship as early as the age of 12. And if that was really when we saw the light bulbs go off on both of our kids, when they started realizing that not only are we interested in their ideas, but ideas can actually be converted into a career or money-making opportunity. And it was just... It was uh, amazing to see them flourish at a way of entrepreneurship being a vehicle that we were able to help them be exposed to the other entrepreneurs, how other people make money in a simple way, how you can make money to the basement, like finding something you want to sell and selling it and getting that money back. Mm-hmm. So it was just fabulous. And, mm-hmm. and we started this conversation when they were just 10 and 12. And for those that aren't aware of Pecan Works, could you tell them a little bit about your organization and how they can learn more about what you do? Sure. So Pecan Works has uh, evolved. Um, Originally, we we started um, seeing the benefits of our own two boys and decided to offer um, some guidance and some classes to other parents and that we did. And then we started doing some more formal um, presentations and trainings that we've done for universities. Um, and, and so now we've evolved to the point where this year we're launching uh, a full and what we consider to be the first ever um, um, complete book and guide on how to start your own business. And the entire book is tailored for people families with um, developmental challenges, uh, really any sort of disability, if you would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why we say the first ever is because what we found is that there's a lot of books out there that are on entrepreneurship, which is okay. So entrepreneurship in itself is not a new idea, nor is it new information. But the types of things that you have to consider if you are an individual with disabilities or a family are things that a normal entrepreneur would not have to think about, which is how will this business impact my benefits? Um, how will I have a team to help an individual who will probably need supports long after the parents have passed away? See, those are the things that a typical entrepreneur would not have to think about. So what we decided to do was to write a curriculum for professionals and educators that really solve a holistic approach to entrepreneurship 
that includes the very unique conversations and very unique concerns for an entrepreneur with disabilities. And, uh, and so that is where we have evolved to where we're going to be launching this guidebook curriculum, if you know, um, and that is basically going to be the overall model for Pekine Works moving forward. And we still do some professional consulting for organizations and things like that uh, occasionally. Now, self-employment isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to people's mind when thinking about employment for those with autism and other disabilities. Has it been a tough process in getting people just to think that this could be a good option for some of their family members? Absolutely. There's, there's no question that since day one, we have been working against the brain. Um, and even today, you hear of a lot of um, applause given to companies who hire individuals with disabilities, which in itself is a great thing, and I think it's part of the solution. But you have a large population of individuals who can do something, but would struggle to do it under the constraints of a traditional workforce environment. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, where are those people going? What are they doing? Um, and so, uh, and what ends up happening is, is what we have found is that the best candidates for entrepreneurship are the ones with the most challenging deficits. The ones who are nonverbal, the ones who have epilepsy, the ones who have the most striking characteristics of perhaps autism and the like. They are the perfect candidates for entrepreneurship because they clearly would not be uh, either qualified for a work, let's say, at a, a major company, or if they did qualify for work at a company, they would be given what we would consider, you know, the five Fs, you know, food, filth, filing, any work that's really not moving or passionate or, or even purposeful for them personally. And so they're really stuck between this situation where they either don't have a high school grad, you know, a high school diploma, they don't have college education, so they can't get those jobs that are being offered at these great companies, uh, but the jobs that they are being offered are being offered strictly based on their limitations. Mm-hmm. And so what we have found is, so for instance, our son, who is non, non-speaking, um, epileptic, has all of the characteristics and traits of autism that uh, many have with the, the swearing of the hands and echolalia and, and has all of the sensitivities that that you know, many have. And so, so he would even struggle at getting a job as a greeter at a pharmacy or at a, you know, at a, a supermarket or something like that. So, so because he would struggle doing that, does that mean this, that he does not have the right to work? Well, clearly that's not the, that's not the answer. So what is he going to do? So our son is incredibly capable in other ways that does not require him to speak. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's, it's being a bike mechanic. He is cognitively able to understand what all the bike parts are. Now, if you would ask him to take a test to prove his cognition, it is, is uh, you know, he needs a degree in bike mechanics, well, he would probably fail that test. But you put the bike in front of him and tell him to repair uh, his actions, his working with his modalities in his hands is proof that he can do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where we've seen 
you know, where a lot of families and individuals and professionals and educators get caught up on the limitations. And what ends up happening is they forget that, you know, having a disability does not mean that you have no abilities. And so entrepreneurship really is something that we've struggled to mainstream. Uh, we've struggled to get, you know, even parents of their own kids to really buy into the notion that they can be entrepreneurs. I mean, it's really been mm-hmm. a struggle. Mm-hmm. And we think that um, it'll change. We think that there's you know, some media attention that's been given to individuals who are entrepreneurs with themselves. And for the record, let me just state what our definition of an entrepreneur is or entrepreneurship. We are not talking about a family who sets up a business and that their son or daughter is an employee of that business. Right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the individual being the entrepreneur and the business being designed around that person's abilities. Mm-hmm. And there has been a, a, um, a, a graying of the line, if you will, of a lot of talk about autism entrepreneurship. And, and in many cases, it's really parents who are putting together a business and, and uh, they're basically doing all the work. Um, and the business is really has nothing to do with the passions of that individual with autism. It's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a business where the entire concept of the business is based on the interest of the individual. Now, I, I quite often will see, you know, different I- unemployment rates for people with autism. Sometimes it's 70%, sometimes 80 I've seen 85 Whatever the number is, it's not good, and it never seems to be moving in the other direction too much. So, but, but the thing that always frustrates me is that but we're always kind of doing the same thing around employment. And, and that's where looking at other options like self-employment can be you know, I think maybe that's one really positive avenue in, in turning those numbers around. Well, you know, what's interesting is the, the statistics that don't change on the other side of employment statistics are the year-after-year statistics that show that people with disabilities are more inclined to be entrepreneurs than have regular employment and that the income is 30% more than what individuals get when they get traditional employment. Mm-hmm. So no, one's, you know, no one is really focusing on that if you did entrepreneurship, your potential for income is far greater than the income you would get in, in many traditional jobs. And, and I say many, not, not most, because there are some really incredible companies you know, Fortune 1,000 companies Absolutely. are finally seeing the value in, in hiring individuals. But here's, here's the caveat. They're hiring the cream of the crop. They're hiring individuals who have college education, you know, who have a lot of abilities, far more so than a great number of our population who simply don't have that ability to work in a Fortune 1,000 company. So we've got to figure out, you know, where is everybody else going? If you're not working for Microsoft and SAP and Google and Chase, then where are you working? And and for me and for my wife, our paramount question is not what you're doing, but do you like what you're doing? And I don't think that's a question that's asked often enough. I 
think too many people celebrate the fact that someone has a job and forget that, you know, that person deserves to actually enjoy what they're doing because everyone else moves on that. No one else, you know, decides to go have a job that they hate. They're always looking for jobs that they would like. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that that's a question that it's not, that's not asked often enough. And I can't tell you how many individuals I've, I've spoken to who have jobs and, you know, they seem like they're content and that's a great attitude to have is to be content with the job that you have. But if you were to ask them, you know, if you could have a job that you like doing, what would it be? More often than not, it would not be um, or have anything to do with the job that they have. And so my question is, has anyone explored how this person can make money doing what they like? And if you haven't, why not? Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, so, yeah, there are statistics that change, but I tell you, one of the, the staple statistics and the Department of Labor Statistics has always, for many, many years, shown that the income potential for entrepreneurs with disabilities has always been significantly higher than traditional employment. That has not changed. Now, as an entrepreneur myself, one of the most important things I found is just being re- really organized, um, having effective time management, money management, being able to plan effectively. Um, but how many people with autism struggle with, with these skills due to executive functioning skills challenges? So what strategies have you seen that have been in it, effective in minimizing these challenges? So it's, it's really easy. I mean, what we have found is, is if you don't overthink things, you realize that it's no different than any other business. 99% of entrepreneurs who start a business focus on what they love to do, which is the product or service that they've designed. They don't do accounting. They're not the director of marketing. They're not in sales. They're just focused on what they're launching. And so a business with an individual with disabilities is no different. If someone is not good with accounting or executive functioning skills, then what you do is you help them focus on what they're good at and then hope that those those activities would help compound their interest in other aspects of the business and grow. The difference between having a traditional job and being an entrepreneur is when you have a traditional job, you're being paid to do one job. You, know, you don't have the ability to move laterally um, and do other things, even if you are interested in it, because that's not what you're being paid for. As an entrepreneur, you can grow with the business. So, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. There was a, a young man who was nonverbal, um, family didn't know what to do, who recommended that he start a, a, uh, a small business they were completely dumbfounded as to what he could possibly do because he didn't like to be touched. He was non-speaking. Uh, you know, he just was very supposed But they did identify that he loved to fold clothing, especially after it had come out of the dryer. So what we asked was, well, why can't you start a small laundry business and have him do what he's already expressed to you that he likes to do, which is to fold clothing. The difference is, Instead of him folding his own clothing or clothing for the family, he can now actually fold clothing for a client. And you handle all of the other parts of the business. You know, you handle getting clients and things like that. And then consistently offer him the opportunity to grow with the business. So he started off doing what he could do, which is to fold clothing, and he enjoyed it. 
And little by little, they would invite him to go look for clients. They gave him a business card with his name. Obviously, you always assume competence. So he knew that this was his business. And that confidence built with the business allowed him to grow in other aspects where he ended up actually bringing merchandise to his clients, picking up merchandise, passing out flyers in the community. And so he, he got more involved with his business and grew as a result of the business in his skill sets and his interests. And there are many, 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 many other examples that are the same. Uh, we have the example of a young man who started off building Legos and then the, the, the mom helped him do data entry so that they can also go to companies and offer what's called um, like data mining or Lego organization. So they basically would count every case to keep a Lego inventory mm-hmm. at schools to make sure that they had. Well, he learned how to do data entry, how to create Excel sheets. Those things came after, but they came as a result of focusing on his interests first. So there's no reason to expect someone to become an entrepreneur and have to do every aspect of the business because no one expects any entrepreneur to do that. That's why you have a team. That's why you get support. That's why you, you look after other, other individuals who can help you with the business. No difference mm-hmm. than any other entrepreneur you've ever seen. Now, one issue uh, with starting a business is the, is the financial aspect of it. If someone um, wanted to start a business and they were receiving uh, benefits um, and they're concerned about losing those benefits, how do you advise them on how to go about um, developing their business structure? So, yeah, that is one of those questions where there's no blanket statement, nor blank book by it. You really have to take a look at each individual's assets, whether they have uh, trusts or non-trusts and things like that, what kind of benefits they have. And so um, what I would recommend is if someone wants to to read an article that we give guidelines, it's go to the website called The Mighty um, and look for Boaz and Minerva as uh, actually one of the we write articles for The Mighty. We have an article on Mighty that specifically talks about what uh, kind of corporate structure should you be looking for if you are starting a business. Mm-hmm. We also have another article that talks about should you start a nonprofit or a for-profit if you're starting your own business. So you know, there is no one-size-fits-all because many of the laws are statutorily connected. You know, for instance, in Florida... There's this, uh, the Department of Vocational Rehabilitation has a whole entire program uh, called the CPAC program, which is the, the uh, program that invests in developers who want to start their own business. But there are other states on the country who don't even have that program. So really it just depends on where you live, what you have, what benefits are you currently benefiting um, from, and you would really have to take that on a case-by-case basis. So it can be done. The answer is you can start a business without losing your benefits. That is something you can do. You just have to figure out how to do it right according to your local guidelines. Mm-hmm. Now, in doing research for this interview, I, I learned that your oldest son um, 
is an entrepreneur now, and he started uh, his bike repair business, uh, Bike Doctor Derek. I love learning about that. How is he enjoying this process, and how have seen how have you seen him grow as a person from this venture? Wow. Um, so I'll give you a quick story. Um, I Thank you very much uh, for your time today, Boaz. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, and thank you to Boaz for the conversation. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach saves people with autism from feeling alone and being isolated? So often, teens and adults with autism struggle with anxiety and, as a result, don't have success in their lives. Autism Personal Coach is a unique service in that we help those with autism by working on meaningful individualized goals in the setting in which they will be used so their anxiety is greatly reduced and as a result they can become much more independent and successful. To get an autism coach for a loved one or yourself, it's very easy. All you have to do is email autismpersonalcoach at yahoo.com 
or call 216-336-5889 and request a coach today. On next week's episode, we will talk with Armani Williams. Armani is the first NASCAR driver to be diagnosed with autism. Talk to you then.